join with me, would you, in prayers? We ask the Lord to help us understand uh, what he's saying to us through these words. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are King and our Lord, and you are Lord of this church. And as we come to these words, we confess, Lord, many times at the end of the day, our hearts are filled with many things other than you. Our hearts many times, Lord, are seared or blinded by our sin. The flesh oftentimes, Lord, especially as the evening gets late, is strong. And yet, Lord Jesus, we so desperately need you, and we need your word, and we need your help to take these lives of sin and chaos and to put it back together again and to put it in a way that's pleasing to you and to mold us in your image. And we need your word to do that. So would you, by the power of your spirit and through the power of your word, Lord Jesus, would you change us tonight? Would you enable us to hear what you have to say? And through it, Lord Jesus, would you enable us to see the beauty of who you are, how much you love us, and the good things that you're doing in our hearts, our lives, and in our church. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, what is the message of these first first four verses? What are these four verses? Okay, could I have my next slide, please? Is that doable? Okay. When we go through these first four verses, this is an epistle, right? Paul's epistle, he's writing to Titus, he's writing to the church in Crete, which is a new, relatively young church plant, and it's a little bit of a wild and crazy place because it's Crete. And the beginning of a letter frequently is referred to as a greeting. And typically at the beginning of a letter, which is where we are, you get in the beginning of that letter, essentially who wrote the letter and who they're writing to, right? But I'm going to come to you and hopefully after you spent the first hour together going through this and looking at the details, and you look at the repeated words that are there where the word God is repeated five times Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ is repeated two times and faith is repeated two times. And if you add in the word entrust in Greek, it's the same faith is actually made reference to at least two or three times. You see that this is more than just a greeting and this is more than just a personal letter. When you read through Acts, when you read through 2 Corinthians, when you read through the New Testament, I believe Titus' name is mentioned 14 times. Nine of those 14 times is in the book of 2 Corinthians. And you see that Titus, who's mentioned in Galatians, who's Paul's partner in ministry, part of his ministry team, who's been with him probably since his first missionary journey, Okay, he's been with Paul for decades, probably by now, because this letter's being written 62 to 64 AD. They know each other fairly well. Okay, they've been through a lot of things together, and they've been through messy things in the church. They're tight. Now, when you write a personal letter, if I write an email to Julie, I say, hey, Julie, or hey, hon, or hey, mama, I use the nicknames, right? And we just sort of get on to whatever we need to talk about. And when I write you all, sometimes I just say, hey, brother. Okay, when you read these first four verses, there's a lot more going on. These two guys, these two men, Titus and Paul, knew each other very well. They'd been in the trenches together. This is more than just a personal letter. Okay? Significantly more than the personal letter. 
And as you read through those first four verses and you say, okay, well, what's the language that Paul's using here? Is he using indicatives or imperatives? Is this a narrative? No, these are indicatives by and large with one exception where he talks about what he's been commanded to do. He's making truth statements. He's just coming out and saying, hey, this is the way it is. But the difference with this letter starts in the very first verse. And in summary, Paul is, as he does this greeting, making it abundantly clear that the words that come in this letter are the words of God and Christ Jesus our Savior. And they're meant for the church. They have an authority that goes well beyond the Apostle Paul and Titus. This is the authority of this letter. And this letter is being written to Titus, but it's meant to be read by those at Crete and probably meant to be read by many of the other churches as they get passed on. Well, he's letting them know, look, the authority and power of this letter is the authority and power of God and of Jesus Christ. It's in a different game. You need to take the words that follow seriously. Okay? This is the power of the gospel. And I'm going to propose to you as you read through this, it's really the blueprint and the DNA of the rest of the letter. And in summary, as we've said for the theme of Titus, it's what is it that is the authority of your life? What is the power and authority that gives order in your life? What is it that orders your life? What is it that orders your marriage? What is it that orders your relationships? What is it that orders what you do, your good works? What is it that orders all of those things? Well, the Apostle Paul is pointing out here in this opening greeting, beginning with himself, that what orders his life is the gospel. Very specifically, what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what makes Paul who he is. That is what gives Paul the specific purpose in what he does. That is what guides how he fulfills his purpose. That is what guides who his family members are and who they're not. Let's think about that for a second. He makes that very, very clear. He sets a boundary right at the beginning in this opening greeting of what the boundary lines are and what sets the Apostle Paul apart, what sets Titus apart, what sets this letter apart. So let me ask you, what is it that sets your life apart? What is it that orders your life? Is it you, your desires, your dreams, your aspirations, what your parents raised you with, what your wife wants? Or is it God? Is it Jesus Christ our Savior? Is it the gospel? Well, Paul's explaining to Titus what is supposed to order the church, beginning with its leadership, chapter 1. Its families and its roles, chapter 2. Its outreach and its ministries, chapter 3. Is not our programs, is not a goal to get people in here, is not how much money we have in the bank, is not how much fun we're having, which we should have fun. But at the end of the day, what guides is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of our life is to be ordered by the gospel. And his point in writing in verse 5, where he makes a statement, I have asked you to remain here in Crete to put in order. The point is, we don't get zapped when we get saved and suddenly everything's in order. There's a process. 
And there's a roadmap, and that process and roadmap of how the Lord molds us into the image of Christ is the gospel. The gospel just doesn't save us, brothers and sisters who are watching. The gospel is our blueprint for how the Lord puts our lives in order, bit by bit by bit by bit. And when we shepherd and interact with one another, when we fall apart, typically it's because if the gospel is what is ordering our lives in the direction that God wants us to go, what is it that disorders our lives? It's us, our sin, our flesh. And typically it happens when we start to veer away from what? My dreams, my goals, my aspirations. It's the gospel. Okay? Every epistle is like a biblical counseling letter. Typically there's a problem going on in the church. Let me make it really simple for you. What does each letter do with each of those situations and those problems? It points people back to Christ. And it shows them specifically the areas where they're veering away from Christ and the gospel. That's what biblical counseling is. That's what preaching on Sunday is. That's what discipleship is. At the end of the day, we're not the saviors. The authority and power is who? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all we're doing is we're pointing brothers and sisters back to Christ. Because the authority is in Christ. And the power is in Christ. And that's what saved you. And when we're discouraged or we're falling apart or we're stumbling, typically that's where we are. And what we need to pick us up is the gospel. And this is why Paul is writing this. Because things are problematic in Crete. Because things are starting to get crazy. Because people are starting to bring in and push back against the gospel with stuff that's coming in from Crete. And stuff that's coming in from Judaism. And stuff that's coming in from all over. And that's what we do. Right? That's what we do. My sons came home and told me all about Chinese New Year's. And I was told by one of my sons how he, it was explained to him by his teacher, Chinese New Year's, this is great. Did you know, Dad, I'm a snake? I was, oh, so delighted. So delighted to know that the astrological sign of my son is a snake. Well, look, we bring all this crap. I'm going to call it that, okay? I'm not a big fan of Chinese New Year's, okay? My mom called me the other day. Are you celebrating Chinese Mom, you know what I mean? Look. Guys, the Lord saved us. He's brought us into a new narrative that is true and good that puts our lives back in order. So we're not looking at lucky stars and lucky money and lucky zodiac signs, right? And white folks out there, you have your own zodiac signs and your own superstitions and your own sports. We all have them all over. And Paul's making this point, look, that stuff has to go. You belong to Christ. And what he wants is that you grow and become like him. And it ain't going to happen in all those other things. It happens in the gospel. Can I have my next slide, please? As you work through these verses, verse 1, Paul makes it very clear what the power and authority is that orders his life. What is the power in your life? Is it your talents, your abilities? Your job skills, the college you graduated from, what happens when those fail you? Well, for Paul, there was a power and authority that never failed him. It was the power and authority that saved him. And that's what he says right from the beginning. Paul, a slave of God, doulos, okay, it's translated servant, but it's really slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay? 
When, let me ask you this. Well, let me step back and say, okay, Paul's identity here, is it based on his college degree? Is it based on his profession? Where does he get his identity from? It's entirely from God, and it's entirely from Christ Jesus, our Savior. It's totally dependent on the gospel. That's his identity. Do you think of yourself first as a child of God? Is the authority and power of your life is your identity? Or, you know, we live in this world where it's like, oh, I feel like I'm a girl now. I feel like I'm a gerbil now. I feel like I'm a cat now. I feel like I'm a sinner now. Try that one on for size. Is your identity based on the truth of God's word and the power and authority of God and the gospel? Okay, a slave. When is a slave accountable to his master? I'm not talking about a physician or someone at work. I'm talking about a slave. You're on the hook 24-7 because you were purchased and you were owned and you were belonged by your You belong to your master, right? Is that a fair statement? A child of God. Let's talk about kids who are under the age of 16, okay? When are they answerable to their parents? They're minors. All the time, right? Fair statement? You don't get a day off. You don't get a night off. You don't take a break. You belong to them entirely. That term apostle is an ambassador for the king. Someone who is sent to convey a message that is not his own, where he represents the power and authority of the one who sent him. What happens to the apostle when he starts putting in his own message instead of that of the king? He gets his head cut off. Okay? What comes out of our mouths, brothers and sisters? Are they our words or are they words of the Lord? Well, the Apostle Paul is making it very clear. I'm a slave, right, of God, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that is the authority and power of his life. It has made him who he is. If you are a child of God, the authority and power that has made you who you are is not your choices, your experience, all of those other things. It's the gospel. Okay? Verse 1b. For the sake of what? Okay, and Paul right goes out and basically spells out his purpose in life. Okay? The entire purpose of his life. For the sake of, and it's a gospel purpose. Okay? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. Those who have been chosen by God to be children of God. Election, predestination, God's choice, not yours first. He loved you before you loved him. We didn't do anything. By faith we participate. And the Apostle Paul makes a point. His purpose is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Our trust in Christ, our trust in the gospel. And their knowledge of the truth. Now he talks a lot about doctrine in this which accords with godliness. Gospel or godly living. Okay. Who's Paul serving? 
He's serving himself. His entire life was to serve the local church, God's elect believers. And his entire life was devoted to building up their faith, their knowledge of the truth, and their godliness. Okay? All three of those things were his primary concern because ultimately those are the things that grow you into the image of Christ. And they're inseparable. Okay, could I have my next slide, please? This is by New Testament scholar Knight. He says, The faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth according to godliness are to be the motivating concern for the elders. Okay, Paul is saying, first of all, look, I want you to consider me before you consider you. This is who I am. My power and authority, my identity is completely from the gospel. My purpose in life, completely the gospel. This is entirely my primary concern is that you would grow into the image of Christ, that you would be more like Christ, that you would go from the chaos of your sin and become more like Christ in your families, in your shepherding, in your local church, every aspect. That's what the entirety of my life is about. And to do that, the Lord has commanded me, very specifically, there are these three areas that I'm focusing on. That you would grow in your faith, that you would grow in your knowledge of the truth, and you would go, because of that, in godliness, godly living. All three of those. That's the primary concern of apostles. And guess what? As he hands off to Titus, that's the primary concern of elders. Not how much money we have, not how many programs we have. Now, I'm all for Vince. Vince is trying to get a basketball thing going. All for it. Support them. Go out. Do it. LBCSJ basketball. But that's not an elder's primary concern. I'm thankful it's there. It's an outreach. But at the end of the day, our primary concern is the ministry of the word and prayer and to see each one of you grow in Christ because I'm going to stand before the Lord. He's going to hold me accountable to all of you and he's going to say, Mark, did they grow in their faith? Did they grow in their knowledge of Christ? Did they grow in godliness? And typically what happens, guys, because I'm facing you, is we pick one of those things to excel in. We're going to grow in knowledge of the truth. So we go to seminary, get a big brain. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything. Some of us focus on godly living. Those are the imperative people. Do this, do this, do this. Be good to your wife. Be good to your kids. Teach them A, B, C, and D in the Ten Commandments. And we focus on godly living and good behaviors. But guess what? If you don't know Jesus or you don't have faith, it's going to break down. Those are the Pharisees. But when the gospel comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in our life, you get all three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. As you trust in the Lord, your knowledge grows. Okay? Faith seeking understanding. You know and you grow in knowledge of Christ because you trust in Him. Not because you're brilliant. Not because you're smart. It's the gift of faith that opens your eyes to see who Jesus is. And as you grow in faith and you grow in obedience, guess what happens? As you grow in knowledge of Christ, your godliness, you become more like Christ as you spend time with Him and you grow in appreciation of who He is. You grow in Christ-likeness. 
It's a beautiful thing. Three of them, they're inseparable. And as you go through the letter of Titus, you're going to see these three things, hand in hand in hand in hand. Paul never separates them. Sound doctrine, sound teaching, trust in the Lord and the gospel and what he's done and what he's doing in your life and godly living. And ultimately, these are the marks, guys, of godly leadership. It's the mark of a godly father. It's the mark of a godly shepherd. It's the mark of a godly husband. Faith in the Lord, growing in our knowledge of Christ, which you can't do without his word. Faith, where does faith come? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. You're never going to get there without the word of God. You're not going to grow in faith. Okay? And ultimately, godly living. And that becomes the criteria of who you're to choose for leadership in the church. Men who are characterized by these things and then therefore this is their burden. Because guys, it isn't going to happen if I'm not, I'm not going to worry about you growing in faith and you growing in godliness and you growing in the knowledge of Christ if I don't give two hoots about it. Right? I can cover it up a little bit and make a good appearance here and there, but it's not going to be a burden for me. I'm not going to die for it. I'm not going to go out on a limb for it. But Paul did, because Paul knew firsthand and loved the gospel, and he loved Christ, and this is what it had done for him, and this is what had transformed him. And this becomes his burden for the local church, that they would grow in these areas. And when they're not doing well in these areas... It's because they've walked away from the gospel. Can I have my next slide, please? Paul shows us this in verse 2 and 3. Okay? This whole first four verses, Paul's laying down the blueprint and authority which is supposed to help the church grow in Christ. Okay? And he's showing that it begins first in his relationship between himself and Titus. This is the basis of their relationship. And so what you see is, ultimately, the foundation is this is built on God. It's built on God's promises. It's built on the gospel. That's the manifestation of God's promises. And it's built on the preaching. It's the logos. These are the primary concerns of the local church. Why? Because that's where it's in the gospel that the power and authority of God is given to people. The gospel, Romans, is the power of God for the salvation of all men, Greeks and Gentiles, or Greeks and Gentiles after, Jews first, right? That God spoke the world into existence. Through the power of his word, he changes things. My words don't change anything. I can do biblical counseling till the cows come home. People don't change. But when God speaks, it's different. When I speak the gospel and I'm just communicating the message of what God has done, people either repent or their hearts get hard, not because of Mark Chin, because of the power of God's word. And so the Apostle Paul makes that point through the preaching, verse 3, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. This is God and His love commanding the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel, to make the ministry of the word and prayer his primary concern, because that is the power and authority that changes lives and takes them out of darkness into the light and puts their lives back together and in order and makes them like Christ over time. 
And as you work your way back, you see that because what God is saying is true, because these are the promises of God and God never lies. And Paul is perhaps doing a contrast here because in the island of Crete, the belief was this is where the Greek gods arose. This is where Zeus apparently made his residence. And this is where Zeus became a man. Does it sound like Christianity? And he did so in order to seduce a woman. The Greek gods did. I like a gal, I show up, I come in human form, I seduce them, I get what I want, I leave. It's like the men who run our corporations and run this world, right? Okay, Zeus was a liar. And allegedly Zeus was buried somewhere in Crete, allegedly, okay? So when Paul's coming, he's saying, look, all this stuff of what you're living outside of the gospel, they're lies from the father of lies, God is not like that. His word is true. And because his word is true and because they are the words of the one true God, they have power to change and transform. And I've been called in love and mercy to preach not my words, but the word of God, the gospel, the good news. And because of that, we're given a hope or a certainty of eternal life. That is the life of God. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. So that you wouldn't live your old life, but that you could have a life of righteousness, a life that is a gift from God, so that you could know the love of God and be in fellowship with God. The gospel gives hope because it is certain that it's true. It's the promise of God. Those who come to God, he will by no means cast away. If we turn and repent and call upon the name of the Lord, right? He will forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us not from some, but all unrighteousness. It's the certainty. It's hope. And it's based on that hope that faith grows. It's based on the word of God and the certainty of that word of God that your faith grows. And it's from that faith that your knowledge of Christ grows because you start seeing not with your experience but with the eyes of faith. You begin to see as you walk that God is indeed faithful to his promises. He's true. He's working in your life. The power of the spirit is alive and those circumstances are terrible. God is true and you begin to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And all of this leads to a gospel life and a gospel order that looks more like Jesus than it does like the world. Can I have my next slide? I'm almost done, guys. Okay. The big question of this greeting, as the Apostle Paul writes to Titus and establishes who he is, what he's been called to do, and what's changed his life, and what is to change the life and order of the local churches. Who or what orders your life? It's really the question, right? Who is the power and authority of your life? Is it you? Or is it Christ? Is it God the Father? Okay? And this is the same thing that Jesus did over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. And the classic example that I use over and over again with all of you men because... In America, all of you guys are all rich young rulers, right? In comparison to the rest of the world. Single, you make a good salary, you live in a big city, you do well. This is not like Africa, right? You're all rich young rulers. How many of you are living at home? Okay, you're all rich young rulers, okay? How many of you guys have Xbox? You're all rich young rulers, okay? 
You're rich young rulers. And so to the rich young ruler, what does Jesus say? Do you know the commandments? I know them. Honor your father. I do them all. Good teacher. I know the Bible. I got good knowledge. I got good works. I do it. Okay, well then leave it all and follow me. You can't do it. Can you leave what you're doing to come here and be at church on Sunday? Can you leave what you're doing to wake up in the morning and read God's word? Can you leave what you're doing to share the gospel with someone? Can you leave what you're doing to obey the Lord while we struggle? Do I lie? I have a hard time. Okay? And the challenge really is who or what orders your life? Okay? And as we really consider the reality of the world, okay, this is typically what you see. It's a life of chaos, okay? And what is it driven by? My desires, my expectation, my experience, my authority, my leadership. That's the authority of our lives. My de- and basically the authority very frequently is my desires, what I want and what I aspire to. I want a wife. I want a girlfriend. I want friends. I want a church family. Those typically are the things that rule our lives. How do we know? Because the divide comes when there's a command that comes in our life from Christ that we won't obey. That's where we start to expose where things are at, right? And as you look at that, what does that express? Instead of hope in God's word of the gospel or Christ, it's hope in me. Instead of faith in Christ, it's faith in me. Instead of knowledge of Christ and a relationship with Christ, it's a knowledge of me, my desires, my wants. Okay, And where that goes in our society right now and where it's going, and I'll touch on this at Cornerstone two weeks from now. We're at the point where legislation is being passed, not just in Canada, but in America, okay, that if we call people to the gospel and we tell them that their desire for a particular gender or sexual desire is wrong, we are going to be accused of abusing people. But the truth is, in the local church, it happens all the time where a brother will come to a brother and say and give them a correction or a rebuke or say, hey, you're walking away from Scripture. And, oh, you're being so unloving. But it says here in Scripture, oh, no, you're abusing me. Oh, no, you, you don't understand me and you don't understand my heart. The question is, when we trample on people's experiences or desires in our society right now, because our experiences and our desires is what rules our lives, it's considered to be abuse. My desire is to be a girl. My desire is to be a guy. My desire is to be whatever it is. And I don't want to belittle those desires, but at the end of the day, we've got to say, yeah, but what is God's desire? Okay? And we see that the flesh, brothers, is never satisfied. And this life goes from one restless place to another restless place to another restless place. And it leads further and further and further away from the Lord. And it gets to be a point where the Lord says, listen, you want to have Adam. Have all your desires, have all your expectations, have all your dreams fulfilled. You have it all and see where that takes you. 
But what's the good news of the gospel? And this is my last slide. Could I have my last slide? Okay, this is Paul's letter to Titus. For believers, you've been saved. And you've been pulled out of that world where you're living for your desires and your expectations. You're not ruled by the flesh anymore. Can the flesh come and squeeze you? Yeah, it can. Do you wake up in the morning and not feel like reading your Bible? Absolutely. But is that the master of your life? No. Is that the power of your life? No, it isn't. Because God has given you his spirit as a seal and a guarantee of the new life he's given. And he's given you his word, the gospel. This is the power and authority of your life. And what comes from God? Grace, peace, and unity. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And that's what's shown when the Apostle Paul writes to Titus and says, to Titus, my true child of the faith, common faith. Titus was a Gentile. He was uncircumcised. Paul, highest and purest Pharisee Jew you could have. The two never got close to one another outside of the church. Paul, if he had bumped into, before was a Jew, bumped into Titus, he would go and wash himself off and ceremonially purify himself and couldn't go into the temple unless he cleaned himself with ritual purification because Gentiles were unclean dogs. And yet he writes to Titus and says to Titus, to my true child of the common faith. Well, what is it that united them? It's the power of the gospel. They were part of the same family. They had been cleaned. They had been purified. And it was the love of Christ that had drawn them near. Grace, peace, and unity. But where is it found? It's found in one place and one place alone, guys. It's found in the gospel. It's found in the life and body of Christ. And that's what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a place that is ordered by the power and authority of the gospel. Not what I think the carpet should be. Not what I think the order of worship should be. It's the power and authority of the gospel. And so we see what's happening here is church leadership. What is supposed to order that? The word of God. The power and authority of the gospel. Well, how do we vet leaders, which we'll hopefully begin to do this year? Are their lives characterized by the power and authority of the gospel? Has it been proven? Has it been tested over time? Is their life, the testimony of their life, that the devotion of their life is the growth of faith, the growth of the knowledge of Christ, the growth of godliness, a willingness to rebuke, as well as affirm, to say, brother, this is a good thing. You're growing in a right direction. Brother, this thing in your marriage, that's worldly. It's not drawing you closer to Jesus. It's going further away. Are we willing to do that? Well, what's the authority in our life? The fear of man? The power and authority of a Savior who's given his life for us. Church membership is what rules church membership, the authority and power of God's word. Is it the gospel? Is that the basis with which we make decisions about whether someone's a member of the church or not? Or is it whether they signed on a document and they rose up and said something? Is it who this person is in the eyes of God, not this has been my buddy or my sister for eight or ten years and they've taken me out to lunch on a regular basis? Our marriages and our families... 
Is it based on my desires, my expectations, my wants? Or is it the authority and power of the gospel? Our outreach and our ministries. Is it based upon what is pleasing to the Lord? And does it reflect the goodness and love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His Word? Well, what the Lord promises is, if it is, if we are children of God, we're going to hear what He has to say. And we're going to repent. And we're going to allow His Word to order our lives and His Gospel. And we're going to allow Christ to order our lives. And it might not happen overnight. But what the Lord is going to do is He's going to put in order what remains in our lives. And at the end of it, as you get to like the end of Titus, there's going to be a life in a church that is going to be a bright light, that is going to be a witness to other lost sheep, even in a crazy place like Crete. And the beauty and the goodness of the Lord is going to be shared with others, as is His life and as is His gospel. And that is the reason, in part, that Christ has left us. He saved you. It's part of your mission. Because in love, He's made you a slave of Christ. And you belong to him and you're a child of God and you're not a child of the world. That, brothers and sisters, is part of our gift. It's part of our calling. And it's part of the graciousness of Christ that he gives us. And it is our joy and delight. And it's what sets apart the people of God and the household of God from everything else. Who is the power and authority of your marriage, your relationships, your work, and your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a gift you've given us with the gospel. You've given it, not just to bring us into the church or give us a ticket to heaven, but you've given it, Lord, to order the leadership of your church, to order the members of the church, the families of the church, the outreach of the church. And we rejoice, Lord Jesus, because the authority and power of the church is based on your gospel and not on us. In spite of our failures, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our frailties, you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In your name we pray. Amen.